0: Well, this morning, as I said, we're looking into the book of Haggai, and uh, someone asked me last week, do you pronounce it Haggai or Haggai? You can pronounce it either way, whatever you want. Scholars say either way is okay, so um, sometimes I'll pronounce it Haggai, sometimes I'll pronounce it Haggai, so it's just kind of up in the air, though. But today, we want to look at bringing God's blessing down. Last week, as you recall just a quick review we looked at uh, a message entitled the best is yet to be and uh, remember this is the third message of Haggai he preaches four messages and this is the third one it's in verses 10 to 19 and he brings talks about bringing God's blessing down and each of those four messages happen on a different date the first one happens on according to our calendar August 29th of the year 520 BC. And then the second message happened on October 17th. And the last two messages that the prophet brings forth are actually on the same day, December 18th. So it kind of gives you a little bit of a time frame there. But last week we looked at the idea of having a backward look and we saw that in verses 1 to 2. And we saw the importance of looking back, and in their case, they were looking back at God's old temple. But we also said that we don't want to get stuck in that mode. We don't want to just always be remembering the good old times and, you know, oh, wow, it's not the same today, and, and just sit there and whine about it. That's not what God wants us to do. We need that backward look to look back, and you think of the people that... Um, built this church that laid down the foundation for this church i mean they you got to look back to see all that and we're eternally thankful for their foresight in doing all that and being used of god uh, back during that time Um, but it's important also to kind of move forward from there Uh, the second thing we saw in verses four to five was he pointed out to them that they needed an upward look they needed to look up to god's presence and also to god's promises that God was going to bless them. And it was an encouraging message last week. He wanted them to know that he was dealing with their 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 hearts. And he really wanted to encourage their hearts. Remember the first message dealt with their hands. Why are you just building your own houses? And the, the my house, the Lord says, it lies there in ruins. And so he kind of had to deal with their priorities. But today's message deals with their heads. And then we also saw the last thing was the forward look, looking forward to seeing God's prophecies and to see how God actually fulfills all these things. Well, today in chapter 2, we're going to look at verses uh, 10 through 19. 10 through 19. And some of you have asked me, uh, what Bible are you reading from? I'm reading now from the ESV, the English um, Standard Version. And I got it just because it's a large print and it's similar to the, the New King James, and it's, it's a good translation, but I'm going to be using this. And so, uh, as you follow along, just be aware of that. Um, but Haggai chapter 2, and you can just follow along in your Bibles as I read our text today, verses 10 to 19. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest answered and said, no. Verse 13, then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these... Does it become unclean? And the priest answered and says, It does become unclean. Then Haggai the prophet answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every good work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, How did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you in all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, Since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. This is his third message to these people, you remember these folks just came out of the land of Babylon. They were in captivity for some seventy years, and now they're back in their homeland. And because King Cyrus gave them permission to begin to build the temple when they got back, they started building their temple, and they laid down the foundation and they began to work on some of the altar things. and And, and then the Book of Ezra tells us that because they wouldn't allow the Samaritans, who were kind of half-breeds, to help them with building this temple, the Samaritans got ticked off, and they went to the king, and they started saying all manner of evil against the the Jews at the time, and they sent a letter to the king to try to stop them from doing God's work. And so they were discouraged from doing God's work. Like we can be, (laughs) sometimes. You ever get discouraged from doing God's work? Because of things that come in, that come across the path from day to day. You remember that for 16 years, that work of God, the temple just laid there. The foundation was there and the weeds grew up and they didn't do anything. The work of God was hindered because the saints, Israel, was discouraged. They were discouraged. But we also learned that through the disobedience, and we saw that in the book of Habakkuk, we looked at there and in a couple different places, and the disobedience of the children of God, what happened basically, and what was promised later in the book of Deuteronomy, was that the heavens, it says, would become brass, and the earth would become dust. And what that means is God has a pattern. God has a way that he works with his children, even those within the world system. He has a pattern of working with them. The pattern's very simple. When they do not walk in obedience to him or with him, he brings famine and he brings drought. That's what happens. You see that throughout the Bible, over and over and over again. That's a story that's found... In the word of God, right from Genesis all the way through Revelation, when his people are disobedient, there's famine and there's drought. There's a lack of water. You can go without a lot of things. You can't go without water. You just can't. And what God is saying to all the world, but especially to his people, to those, in this case, Israel, that when there's a lack of water, it's the, the reason that there is no water is he's trying to give you a spiritual lesson. He's trying to reveal something to you spiritually. When there's a lack of water in your life, when there's a lack of living water of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, there's going to be famine. There's going to be drought. And so as these people, we look at them now at the point they're at in this little book. We've gone through some of their history. You understand a little bit more about them. And they received this third message from the prophet. And we see here that they're in the midst of famine and drought. Now, you remember back in chapter 1, it's just a small little book. You can turn back to verse 14. And you see there, it says that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel and governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. So through the prophet Haggai, what happened was their spirits were stirred. They heard the word of God, and it kind of stirred their heart. God's Spirit did that work. He blew that breath of freshness into their soul. He brought them out of the depths of their despair, and they realized that they needed to consider their ways before God. That's what he tells them to do. So what did they do? Well, we've looked at this right away. What do they do? They, They get the bricks out. They get the mortar out and the cement, and they start to begin... Again, building the temple of God. And you say, well, that's good. I think sometimes, beloved, sometimes we need to just take a little bit of a pause. Just a pause. And we need to be able to discern and pray and ask God, what exactly do you want us to do? See, they thought it was simple. Yeah, you just go slap these bricks together and, hey, you know, that'll bring down God's blessing. So they cleared away all the weeds of the foundation. They began to put brick upon brick and they began to work together. There was probably a little bit of excitement there after 16 years of this foundation just sitting there. And they, they heard the message and they got all the stuff out and they're ready to go. But they had done all that. And as they're doing it, they're kind of looking around. They think in their mind they're obeying God. They're doing what the messenger told them to do build the temple. But as they looked around and they looked into the clouds and they looked into the fields, what's going on? There's still a drought, there's still famine. There's no water. And as they're working, they're probably thinking wait a minute. I thought when we did this, we're obeying God. That should bring God's blessing. Why was it that God didn't seem to be answering their obedience? See, they expected at the moment that they obeyed God, after 16 years, they heard the message of the prophet, and they thought, you know what? He's right. We need to get back to God's work. And they you know, get the mortar and they start mixing up and they're just going at it. And they look around and they're going, wait a minute. (laughs) There's still a drought. There's still famine. It doesn't seem like God is blessing this work. But we're being obedient to what God called us to do. We're, we started afresh the work that God told us to do. And they thought immediately that would bring God's Blessing, get God somehow. As soon as they started slapping those bricks together, rain would start falling, and the 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 the, the crops would start growing, and boy, everything would just be hokey dokey. But it didn't come; it didn't happen that way. The blessing wasn't coming from God. I don't know where you're at this morning. You might be in the deepest of agony in your own heart. Maybe your life is just. Shambles. Maybe it's overwhelming. Maybe your circumstances are bigger than you. Maybe you have a a deep pain in your heart that only your heart knows about. Maybe you're going through some turmoil. Some stress, some issues at work, in family, marriage, kids, whatever it might be, mentally, physically, spiritually. And you feel that at this moment in time right now, that you're looking at your life and you've done everything that you know to do before God within your soul. And you're looking at God and you're going, why are you answering me? Why do I feel the same way? Why isn't your hand of blessing upon my life? Turn over a page to the right in your bibles to Zechariah chapter 3 Zechariah chapter 3 It's a little book after Haggai and remember Haggai Zechariah and Malachi they're all prophesying about the same thing about the same situation they all are called post-exilic prophets that means we looked at this a pre-exilic prophets were the prophets that talk to the people from God before their captivity before they went into captivity and then the exilic prophets were those who spoke to the people while they were in captivity and now we come to the post exilic prophets in other words God released them from their captivity they're back in their homeland and then he appointed certain prophets to address the people and so that's what these three prophets are and so Zechariah and Haggai and Malachi they all deal with the same situation they're all post exilic prophets and in Zechariah chapter one, or three, verses one to five, he's talking to the same people that Haggai's talking to. Just so you know, same generation. And look at what it says. In verse one, it says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, he's having a vision. And it says, Standing before the angel of the Lord, and look at who's there, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken away, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with the pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. Pretty simple vision. You have Joshua. Now, this is Joshua the high priest of the nation of Israel. It's not the Old Testament Joshua. This is not the, the guy from the book. This is Joshua the high priest. And so you see this, what this prophet sees from a vision from God. Joshua's standing there, and Satan, our archenemy, is standing beside him. And I think Satan's kind of laughing at the whole situation. Because from head to foot, Joshua's standing in filthy clothes. In other words, he's defiled. He's unholy. You stop and you ask the question, why had the rain stopped? Why was there no harvest? Why was there no blessing on these people? I mean, the Bible said back in the little book of Haggai that they were stirred to the depths of their soul, That surely God was speaking to them through his spirit. They had the word of God from a prophet of God who brought the message of God. They had everything. You would think. But the blessing still wasn't coming down from God. Why is that? I think because sin lies at the door. What do you mean by that? What are you talking about? See, Zechariah, as he saw Joshua from head to toe in filthy garments, that's a picture of the nation's sin. That's exactly what it pictures. They were so sinful, even though they had been stirred to the depths by God's word. Their bones were shaken by God, by the Holy Spirit. In chapter 1, it says they were still disobedient to God. They still had sin in their life. And one month before Haggai gave this message that we read here this morning, Zechariah prophesied the same thing against them. Exact same thing. So Haggai's out there with his his messages just kind of going out one after the other and again and again he's giving out the message and his third message here in verse 10 on the 24th day of the ninth month december 18th 520 bc he gives a rather hard message to his people I don't know about you, but whenever I hear someone preaching the Word of God, or I hear a message on the radio, or whatever it might be, it kind of does something in my heart. It grips my heart, it grips my soul. And like these children here in chapter 1 of Haggai, in verse 14. It kind of stirs your spirit. You, you kind of tune in. It's kind of, you know, you, God's doing something in your, in your own soul. And sometimes it motivates you to do something. And you feel you ought to be doing something. The message is speaking something to your heart. And you're thinking, you know, this is the message from God to me. And I need to deal with this. Or I need to do this. Or I need to focus on that. Or whatever it might be. But then I don't know how it is with you, but so many times I walk away from that situation. When I walk away from God's stirring and God's presence at that point, I can be so disobedient. (laughs) And yet on the other hand, I can be so, wow, this is so good. And yet, on the other hand, I can be so disobedient. I mean, isn't that the way it is? I mean, isn't that reality in the Christian life? I mean, maybe we've studied these words. Maybe we've heard what this minor prophet is saying to these people. And our souls and our spirits and our being, we've been stirred in our hearts by God's word. But what Haggai is saying here to these people, what he's saying to them is, you know what, you've heard it. Children of Israel, children of Judah, you've heard it. You've been stirred. You've been moved to the depths of your souls. Yet you're still disobedient. That's why blessing isn't coming. I mean, I don't know about you. Sometimes in my Christian life, I feel kind of like a donkey. You know, you, know, you take a donkey and you put a carrot on the end of a stick and you hold it out in front of the donkey and go walk for miles. Just trying to get that stupid carrot that it's never going to get. The donkey keeps on walking after it. Now, that's what kind of sometimes the way I feel as a Christian. I'm just being kind of transparent here this morning. God, am I ever going to get to the point where I'm not dealing with certain sins in my life? Am I ever going to get to the point where, you know, I just see your total blessing in my life? If I knew, if I really knew that what Paul talks about in the New Testament and what the Lord Jesus Christ really gave us an example of in his life, if I thought it was impossible, if I thought it was pie in the sky, it probably wouldn't bother me as much. But the fact is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is possible. It is possible to live a life like the Apostle Paul or like Christ himself. And everything he has told us to do, beloved, he's given us the resources and the power to do it. We don't serve a God who sits up there in heaven and just kind of makes up stuff for us to do knowing we're never going to be able to do it and then sits back and laughs when we fail. That's not the kind of God we serve. That would be a sick God. But I think what frustrates me the most Is how I know what is mine in Christ. Because I look at it in the Word of God and it tells me what is mine in Christ. What I can have in Him. And yet it frustrates me at some points because I don't have it. (laughs) Well, the people here in the book of Haggai were asking the same question. Why isn't God's blessing coming down? He said, build the temple. That's what we're doing. We're building the temple. There's still drought. There's still a famine. You might be here this morning and say, you know what? I hear the word of God. I feel the word of God in my own soul. I know the word of God. But I don't see the blessing of God in my life. As a matter of fact, I feel kind of like I'm a defeated Christian. Like somebody just plucked me with a pin and all the air is just flowing out. When something comes across my path, whether it's a sin or a sorrow or a sickness, whatever it may be, I just fall down because I'm just so defeated. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. I don't know. Only God knows that. But the answer that was given here is a fourfold message of how to bring God's blessing down. That's what Haggai wants to share with these people. Let's look at the first point of Haggai's message in verses 10 to 14. Chapter 2. Verses 10 to 14. It says on the 24th day of the ninth month. In the second year of Darius. The word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Ask the priest about the law. Now just stop there a second. See in the Old Testament. You have to understand. Whether you had. Whenever you had a question. About a ceremony, or a religious rite, or anything like that. You just didn't kind of go and research it yourself. What did you do? You would go to the priest. That's who was a representative of God. So you would take your question to the priest, and that's what Haggai is doing here. He had a question. Why is this blessing? What's going on here? And It says that he goes to the priest. And so here's what he does. He goes because he's got a big question. Why God's blessing isn't coming? And so he goes to the priest, the men that should know this answer. And he asks them, and he says in verse 12, If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment... And I'll explain this in a second. You're probably thinking, what the heck is this talking about? Okay, good explanation. But if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest's answer simply said, no. Pretty straightforward. Now, what Haggai was doing here was, God the Holy Spirit is doing for us a similar thing right here. He's giving us an object lesson. You see, Haggai asked two questions concerning the ceremonial law of these priests. What happened with the priests is when they were about to make a sacrifice, the priest would take this holy sacrifice, it could be a lamb or whatever, a holy piece of meat that was not cons- uh, defiled by anything. It was, it was considered holy by their law. And he would take this holy piece of flesh from the beast which is the best part of the, the sacrifice, and that was the part of the sacrifice that would be offered to God on the altar. And it was the piece that was set aside especially for God. But what would happen is the priest would take his robe, he'd wear a robe, and he'd take a little, kind of take a fold of his, his robe, which kind of like a little apron, you might say, and he'd put this piece of meat in this kind of an apron kind of a deal, this holy flesh. And so Haggai was asking the priest, if you were to walk into the tabernacle or into the temple, and perhaps that piece of meat, that holy sacrifice that you have, would touch another piece of bread, or another piece of meat, or maybe a glass of wine, or some oil, or some kind of food, would that holy meat that you're carrying around in your your apron there, and it touches something else, would it make that other food holy? That's his question. And the priest gave the answer, no, it wouldn't. Now, it's important to understand because we have to do a little research on understanding what he's saying here. In Leviticus, and you can turn there if you like, Leviticus chapter 6, verse 27, just one verse. The garment that the priests wore and the holy flesh within it actually became holy. That's what the Word of God says. It says in verse 27, Whatever touches its flesh shall be holy. Of Leviticus 6. But that didn't mean that everything that came into contact with this holy flesh became holy. It just meant, okay, you know what? This is kind of a a holy place here that this priest is carrying around this holy, holy meat. If it touched other food or if it touched furniture in the temple... Did that mean that this holiness was somehow transferred into this, from the holy piece of meat into what, whatever was unholy? And the priests say, no, that, it doesn't happen that way. The second question, and this kind of will all work out, the second question that was given by Haggai to the priests is found in verse 13. He then talks not about ritual holiness, But he asks a question about ritual defilement. And so in verse 13, it says, Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? So Haggai is saying, Okay, I understand if I got something holy and it touches something that's not holy, it doesn't make the unholy object holy. Got that. But what if I got something that's unclean and it touches something else? Does that become unclean as well? In other words, can moral uncleanness be transferred and defile something that is holy? In other words, if you're unholy, or if something is unholy and it comes into contact with something that is incredibly holy, can it defile that thing? And the answer in verse 13 the priest gave was yes, it can. It can. Now in Numbers chapter 19 verse 13 concerning the old ceremonial law we have a law that explains this whole thing about what's clean and what's unclean. We're not going to go into all of it but it's important to understand it. And in verse 13 of Numbers chapter 19 he's talking about one of the things that they considered unclean was a dead body. They weren't allowed to touch a dead body. And if they did They're considered unclean. And just so you understand, in Numbers 19, 13, here's what it says. Whoever touches a dead person, the body of anyone who has died and does not cleanse himself. They had a whole ritual of cleansing themselves. It says he defiles the temple of the Lord. And that person shall be, listen to this, cut off from Israel. Because the water for impurity was not thrown on him. He shall be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him. Now you stop and say, why would God say something like that? Seems kind of hard. Seems kind of rash. There are so many obscure rules and principles in the Old Testament, especially in the first five books, if you've ever read, read through them. I mean, it's, it's, they seem unreasonable at times. It's hard sometimes even to make them intelligible in our current society and culture. Why are these people not allowed to touch certain things or eat certain things? Why was it that way? In Leviticus 10.10, God is telling why he gave all these rules to the children of Israel about not touching this or not being allowed to touch this. He says this in Leviticus 10, verses 10 to 11. This is all given. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, verse 11. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes of the Lord as spoken to them by Moses. So why are they not allowed to eat certain things? Why are they not allowed to touch certain things? The reason is because God was trying to teach them a spiritual lesson, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual way. He was trying to help them understand that in this world, there are clean and unclean things. And so we see here two questions. Can holiness be transferred? The priests say no. Well, can filthiness be transferred? (laughs) The priest says yes. Well, how does that apply to us? Let me help you understand with an illustration. Think of science, topic of science. And as you know, I could work out in the gym and I could become the, the fittest person in the world if I wanted to, if I had the resources to. I mean, there's people that would coach you. I mean, you could become, you know, you look at somebody like Jack LaLanne. Incredible specimen of the human body. He's dead now. Hopefully with the Lord. He claimed to be a Christian. But I mean, that man was incredible. And yet, you know what? You could spend all the time you want with Jack LaLanne. He cannot transfer his health to you. You can go hang out in the gym all you want. Just hanging out in the gym going to because you're around healthy people, they're not going to make you healthy. Can't transfer that. can't transfer your health. But you know what? Some of you have experienced this lately, if you have a cold or if you have a flu, or if you have a virus you know that that can get transferred and it gets transferred around your little house with your kids and around the church and everything. Health cannot be transferred, but germs and disease can. Isn't that interesting? Holiness can't be transferred, beloved. But you know what? The disease of sin and iniquity and transgression and evil, filthiness, is transferred. It's always transferred. That's why we got issues in life. So, what is Haggai trying to say to these poor people? He was telling them that, you know what? Something's not right here. Somewhere there's sin here in the camp. Something's not right. He was telling that that even though they've been stirred by the word of God, even though they've been motivated by it to get up and to, to get, in, get involved, and start building the temple, and they're putting stone upon stone and brick upon brick, somehow the evil, wicked sinfulness that was in their life somehow was being transferred from their heart down their arm to the very bricks that they were building. For God. What he's saying is your sinfulness, children of Judah, is being transferred into the work of God. Psalm 27 verses 3 and 4 says this. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in the holy place? The psalmist there is talking about the temple of God. In verse 4 he says, he who has clean hands and a what? A pure heart. You can read in the book of Proverbs 15, 8, 21, 27. It tells us that the sacrifice of the wicked is what? An abomination to the Lord. In other words, you can go before God and you can make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. You can do all the things that God wants you to do. But if, you know what? Your heart is not clean before God. If you don't have clean hands and a pure heart, that doesn't mean anything. As a matter of fact, it makes them want to vomit. I want you to understand this morning what the message of the Spirit of God from our text is to us today, 2011. It's simple, it's this, that holy things cannot make you holy. Holy things cannot make you holy. And the priest was in his holy garments and he was carrying holy flesh, and that holy flesh was an offering to God, the best offering that could be given, yet if it came into contact with anything else, it wouldn't make the other thing holy. Well, how does that practically play out in our lives? I want you to understand this. Carrying your Bible doesn't make you holy. Some churches, they believe the women should wear a head covering. You know what? That doesn't make you holy. It doesn't make your heart holy. I don't even say this, praying to God doesn't even make you holy. Giving offerings don't make you holy. Working in the church doesn't make you holy. Going to church doesn't make you holy. Saying the words, going to church, where our feet take us, where our mind brings us, all that cannot make us holy, beloved. Because coming into contact with holy things can never change your heart. That's so important to understand. Holy things cannot make you holy. Secondly, it tells us that unclean things can make us unholy. (laughs) And although that holiness of the Word of God, when we touch it, it can't be somehow transferred into our souls and our minds. If it would, man, I'd sleep on a bed of Bibles. Not just one under my pillow, man. I'd I'd sleep on a mattress of Bibles if somehow I knew that that could transfer God's truth and, and holiness into my life. Who wouldn't? But when we touch what is unclean, when we touch what is defiled, it comes into our very souls, into our very hearts. It defiles us. Let me speak to a minute to the Christians here this morning. I just want you to know if you're touching anything unclean and you know you're doing it, you're defiling yourself. See, we we can't be humans and touch unclean things and think it's not going to affect us. I mean, just being human, we're magnets for unholiness. It just kind of finds us in our soul, in our mind, whatever. And unfortunately, the tragedy of all this, just like the children of Judah, no matter how long you're saved, no matter how long you work for God, or say for God, or, or know about how much you know about God, if we have defilement, if we have sin in our lives and filthiness somewhere within us, it defiles everything else. That we're doing for God. That's what he's saying. That's the message that is within this passage. Look over at Romans chapter 6 verse 21. Romans chapter 6 verse 21. And that's what Paul is talking about here. In Romans chapter 6 verse 21 he says, But what fruit... but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed from the end of those things is what what's it say death what is the fruit of sin beloved it says it's death sin from the very first day that it came into the universe it brought forth death do you get the picture? Do you see what Haggai is saying? A Jew that touched a dead body is for us as children of God today, as us, we who touch dead things, if we touch sin. If we go about with dead people and we partake of dead activities. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Got his inheritance, went out to a far land, spent everything... Partied with his friends, and when everything ran out, his friends left him, and where did he end up? He ended up in in a trough with the pigs, swine, a picture of an unclean animal in their culture. See, that's what he's saying here. What about the demoniac? You remember him? He was possessed, he's cutting himself, he's bleeding, he's crying, he's out of his mind, the Bible says. And the Lord Jesus came to him, and you remember where he was living? Where was he living? In the grave. In the graveyard with dead people. He was surrounded by him. He was inhabited around by those whom he was like. And when the Lord came to him and blessed him and as soon as he saw the Lord it says that he ran to his feet and it says that he worshiped him. But when the Lord cast the demons out of them, where did they go? Do you remember? Went into the pigs. (laughs) Once again, a picture of defilement, a picture of unholiness. It's a picture of our sin, beloved. That's what it's a picture of. It's a picture of all the uncleanliness in our lives. And if we go about touching dead things, sinful things as Christians, it's going to affect us. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I strongly believe in the security of the believer. I believe in God's grace. I believe in all those things. But don't, don't go to the other side and say, oh, I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter if I go out and do sinful stuff. God paid for my sins. Let me ask you, Christian, are you touching what is dead? I mean, we live in a sinful world, don't we? We live in such a sin-cursed place at every hand, whether you go through the grocery, the grocery store and you're just checking out of the grocery store and you look up and it's right there. You're watching TV or you go to a movie. I mean, it's just everywhere. I mean, what's the Christian to do? I'm glad you asked. Look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or chapter 6, excuse me. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul writes to these people and he makes his message very, very clear to them. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 14. He says, do not be unequally yoked. He's talking to believers. He's talking to Christians. With unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we, look at what he says, are the temple of the living God See, the children of Israel, they're walking around this temple as they're building it, and they probably got scaffolding up, and they're, they're doing all the brickwork. And they're looking around, and they're pulling their hair out, and they're asking the question, you know what? I don't understand this. We've been stirred in our heart. We've heard the word of God. We've done what God has told us to do. Why isn't anything happening? Why isn't our lives being blessed? Why isn't God blessing coming down from above? Why, why, why? And the answer comes from the Word of God through the prophet Haggai. It's first point in verses 10 to 14. First one, you need to confess. You need to confess. The Bible says the man who uncovers his own sins, God covers them all. See, we're so prone the sinners that we are, when we sin we don't we want to cover it up. That's just what we do. We hide our sin. See, and it says when we hide our sin, God has to strip our sins away until we become what? Bare. I saw this in a different way. I was on the internet and I was listening to an interview with Charlie Sheen, the actor by somebody, I don't know who they, and they were asking him pretty pointed questions about his chaotic life. For the first time I heard somebody who really wasn't covering up his sin at all. They asked him about his drug use. He said, yeah, I do drugs. I did drugs. Why? Because they made me feel good. I liked on drugs. I like drinking. I like smoking. That's what I like to do. And you could tell the interviewer was just caught off guard by this because that's not the politically correct thing to say. Well, now that you're clean, I'm sure you're you know, you probably are making a commitment. No, because if I get bored again, I'll go right back to drugs. And I thought, wow. And in a weird way, it was kind of refreshing to hear that from somebody rather than making excuses, making all this stuff. I mean, you need to pray for that man, clearly. He clearly needs the Lord. He's clearly lost in his sin and his debauchery and everything else that's going on. And, you know, God only knows the outcome of that situation. Pray that he would cry out to God. He needs to confess his sin. Not to some news commentator, but to God. Rather than cover it up. If you want to know, Christian, your own spiritual temperature... Ask yourself this question, what is the time lapse in my life between me sinning and then me confessing that sin to God? How long does it take me? That'll give you a true indicator of where you're at spiritually. See, these Judeans, they were living with their sin. I mean, trust me, they were obeying God in many ways. They were following his path. They were doing what he told them to do. They were building the temple. The best they knew how. But it was easy to get sin out of their own heart, as it is for most of us. And it was easy for them to do wrong, as it is for most of us. And just like it is for most of us, it was hard for them to get sin out of their mouth. <laughs> it was hard for them to get to say that they sinned, to confess it. I mean, do we deceive ourselves? I mean, we can do a lot of rational and and logical somersaults in our minds to legitimize our sins, whatever they may be. To tell ourselves, well, it's okay, it's not really harming anybody. I mean, we can make excuse after excuse after excuse. But in the end, the end of the day, God says this, it's only obedience that I will bless. That's it. I won't bless anything else. I won't bless half obedience. I will bless obedience. And until we, as the children of God, see the seriousness of our own awful sinfulness before a holy God and the seriousness of our our sin, we're never going to confess it. Good little book some of the men went through a year or so ago called The Mortification of Sin. In that little book, one of the comments was, sin is not what we do, it's what we are. It's what we are. Can you see the seriousness of your own sin? In the book of Numbers, in the Old Testament, chapter 5, verses 2 to 3, just to show you how serious God views sin. He says in Numbers, chapter 5, verses 2 to 3, command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp. Listen to this. Put out of the camp. Everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. This is Numbers 5, 2 to 3. It says in verse 3, you shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. You see how serious God views sin? These are just things that they viewed as unclean. And they're going, we can't have it. Outside the camp. It caused defilement to the whole camp. To be defiled, to be unclean, to be touched by a dead thing, to be doing what God says we should not be doing, meant to break. And you, you, if you, the result of that was, you know what, there was a break, there was a severing, there was, a, you might say, a divorce of fellowship between the child of God and his God. Separation. Sin is very serious, and we kind of laugh it off today. To see how serious sin is in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 13, and this ties in with our communion time this morning, in verse 11, Hebrews 13, verse 11. It says this, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place. Remember, they bring sacrifices in to the holy place. When they bring these sacrifices in, it says, By the high priest as a sacrifice for sin... What are, they doing? what are they to be done with when they're done sacrificing it? It says they're to be burned outside the camp. They couldn't even burn them inside the camp because it was defiled. Because it was a sin offering. The sacrifice for uncleanness, the sacrifice for iniquity, the sin offering. The thing that has touched dead things. Those people that have done wrong their offering was burnt outside the camp. So as not to defile the whole camp. And look at what it says in verse 12 of Hebrews 13. This is amazing. It says, so Jesus also, look at this, suffered outside the gate. You're talking about the Son of God, the creator of everything we see around us, the holy, righteous Jesus Christ, the Lord. It says he had to suffer outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. I mean, do you understand how serious God views sin? Our uncleanness, our own sinfulness, whether we're saved or unsaved, as a child of God or the child of the devil, do you see how serious it is that even our own Lord Jesus Christ, just like the beast, the sin offering, he had to be despised. He had to be put outside the camp. He had to be rejected by his friends, his family, his kindred, even his own nation. And he had to be pushed out into all separation because of not his sin, but our sin. Because he was willing to take it upon himself. He was put without, outside the camp. But worse than all that separation, beloved, I want you to understand this morning that he was even separated from his own father, the Bible says. He hung there because of your sin and because of my sin. And God turned his face from his own beloved son. And the Bible records that Jesus cried out as he hung on the cross. My God, my God, why has what? Thou forsaken me. Why did God forsake God? Because of dead things. Because of sinful things. We need to confess our sin. That's what the Bible says. Secondly, quickly, we need to be holy. We need to be holy. Haggai brought the application of the illustration to them. Verse 14. So Haggai answered and said, So it is with all the people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Haggai hey says, you know what? You're asking me, children, why the work isn't blessed? You're asking why the harvest hasn't come? Why there's a drought in the land? Why there's no rain? It's because of your deadness and you're touching dead things and it's being transferred into the work of God. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, God told his people when he chose them that they were a peculiar people. Little odd. Little Strange. They were his, what that means is special people. But he also says that they were to be his holy people. If they were to take the name of God, they had to be holy. Nothing's changed today, beloved. And God was telling his beloved children, if you're to have the blessing of God, if you're wondering why the blessing is not coming into your life. It's because, very simply, a lack of holiness. It's a lack of holiness. God is saying clearly that you must be holy for God to bless us. God doesn't bless unclean hands, God doesn't bless impure hearts. He clearly says over and over and over you must be holy. Even as God says, I am holy. And without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. The Holy Spirit doesn't flow through methods. He flows through holy men. God blesses holy men and holy women, and the gospel moves through those people as they give out the message of God. We pray that their life reflects that of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what our daily battle is. Dead men and dead Christians and even dead preachers give out dead messages with dead salvations. And all they do is kill as they preach. But the man of God, the one who is tuned into God's Spirit and understands what's happening. The woman of God that goes about her daily business sharing the gospel and bringing the good news of the message through the Holy Spirit and through the filling of the Spirit brings forth life. In the Old Testament, the priest used to wear a little piece of jewelry and on that piece of jewelry was engraved, Holiness to the Lord. And he would always wear it. He was a priest. He was the high priest. He was ministering to the Lord. He was doing things for the Lord. You say, well, how does that relate to us? Well, in 1 Peter 2.5, it says that we in Christ have become, what's it say? A holy, what? Priesthood. It says that we have become a holy priesthood, a holy nation. And just as Israel were the children of God then, the the, the church has been grafted into that, and we're the children of God now. And we're the bearers of God's name. Light in the dark place. Salt in the earth. And we're to have that same title engraved upon us, Holiness to the Lord. I want to ask you this morning, do you have it? Do you have God's holiness? 1 Corinthians 6 told us there that there's a temple that was made with hands in the Old Testament, but he tells us that, that we are the priests of God. Every one of us, not just pastors, not just elders, every one of us who know Christ are considered a priest before God. Every one of us ought to be holy. But we also ought to be walking buildings of God himself because he calls us temples of God. Are you a temple of God? Are you a temple of the Holy Spirit? Are you, as a child of God, blessed with the holiness of God? Do you know what it means to be filled with the Spirit? I'm gone in a couple of weeks, helping Crystal move. Doug's going to be sharing a message, talking about the filling of the Spirit. Be praying for him as he prepares his message. And can be sharing the next Sunday after that? Are you free from iniquity this morning? Don't touch dead things. Don't touch sinful things. Confess it. Understand God's holiness. And then we have to be examining ourselves. He tells them there in verses 15 to 18, you need to look at yourself. It's not looking at your neighbor time. This is looking at your own heart. Do you remember the message that Haggai gave these people over and over and over and over again? Three times. What did he say? Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. In verse 14, he can't even call them his own people. He has to call them this people. There's a distance there. Why? Because they're not confessing their sin. They're unholy. They're not examining their own hearts. What he was meaning was, for 16 years before a stone had ever been put on another stone... After that point, when they had been discouraged, and they stopped the work of God, no blessing came, no rain came, no harvest came. And year after year, they came to the harvest of wheat, it says, and they were expecting 20 measures, but they only got 10. I, you don't have to be much of a businessman to figure out that's a 50% loss. That's not doing too good. They came back again to look at the wine vats, and for, they looked for 50 vessels, and they only got 20. And he asks them this question, consider why this is happening, children. Consider why there is a low harvest. He wants them to examine themselves. He says after telling them to consider three times, he says, is the seed yet still in the barn? In other words, you've experienced the word of God. You've prayed about the word of God. You've heard exhortation after exhortation. You've even maybe started acting on the word of God. But somehow, there's still sin in your life. And as long as there's sin in your life, there's not going to be any seed in the barn. Do you want to be a fruitful Christian? Do you want our church to be a fruitful church? Do you want to have a Christian life that's you have joy in your step as you walk with the Lord and you see blessings in your soul and in your heart? Do we want a church where we see... God blessing us with new converts and the growth of those Christians turning into disciples and serving the Lord. Do we want that? Do we want the Christian love that we should have for one another? We can have it, we just have to do it the way God says to do it. Confess your sin. Be holy before God. Examine yourself. And the last point is a good one. Because we need to be blessed. <laughs> Amen? We need to be blessed. We need the blessing of God. Look at what he says in verse 19. From this day I will what? What's it say? Bless you. Since the 21st of September, 520 B.C., they had heard the word of God, the first message. And in chapter 1 of verse 14, they were stirred by the message of God. And then it says in the second message that they actually began to work on it. They began to actually build this temple that God called them to build. But God, even as he told Amos in chapter 4 of his little book, he said, you have not turned Unto me rend your hearts and not your garments rend your hearts and not your garments in other words what he's saying is it's okay to have the words it's okay to even have the walk that goes along with the words you know walk the talk people say but you know what if you're not forsaking your sin it doesn't matter we have to rend our own hearts before god we have to be broken we have to be dependent upon him That same chapter, Amos verse 12, it says, prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet your God. Do you understand, those of you who are gathered here today, that there's going to come a day when all of us as believers will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we will look into his glorified face and the word of God says that we will, could suffer loss if we haven't given it our all. If we haven't done what he expects us to do. They realize it's not enough to be stirred. It's not enough to talk about the word of God. It's not enough to do Bible study. It's not enough even to obey the word of God. If you got sin in your life. At that moment in time, despite their sin, hear this, despite their sin, it says that God cleansed them because they confessed to him and they were uncovered. They uncovered their own sin and God covered their sin and told them, from this moment in time, I will start to bless you. I mean, there's such a blessing to be had, beloved, beloved by the child of God. When we hear the word of God, that's a blessing. And when we're stirred by the word of God, that's a blessing. And when we obey the word of God, that's even more of a blessing. But we need to realize that for God's blessing to come down from heaven, the child of God, we need to look at our lives and we need to forsake our sin. Wesley said this, Give me a hundred men that fear nothing but God and sin, and I'll turn the world upside down. He said what he said to the prophet Malachi. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. Prove me now, test me, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour out to you a blessing, a blessing that you can't even have room to receive it. Hymn writer William Cowper wrote this little hymn, and I'm just going to read one verse of it. It says, Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw Lord? Where is that soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? Return, O heavenly dove, return, sweet messenger of rest. I hate the sins that made thee mourn and drove thee From my breast. Father, we come before you this morning and we acknowledge to you that, Father, we're not a perfect people. We're just not. If we've trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're a cleansed people. But we're not perfect. Remember, the prophet Isaiah told us that when the Lord Jesus would come, that there would be a high way of holiness. Lord, forgive us that if we don't, when we don't walk on that path, help us to confess our sins because your word says clearly, 1 John 1, nine, that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That was written for Christians, but you know what? That applies to non-Christians too. If you haven't trusted Christ here this morning, please... I beg of you to understand the fact you're not an island on yourself. That there is a God who created you and that one day you will stand before that God and you will be asked to give an account of what you did with the truth that you heard about His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's the only thing that can break the bond of sin in our lives is the Lord Jesus Christ, his sacrifice for us. Lord, forgive us when we don't walk on that path. Help us to forgive us, confess our sins. Help us to be holy, even as you are holy, Lord. Help us to continually examine ourselves. And then, Lord, truly, truly, when we're rid of sin in our lives, then God's blessing will come down. May it be said of us in this place, in the light of your truth, from this day forward, I will bless you. We ask you this. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.